Well, I am so excited that you're here and that it is Easter. Amen. Amen. It is Easter, one of, if not the greatest. Uh, yes, Christmas is awesome because Jesus came, but it's even more awesome that he lived a sinless life, that he died a substitutionary death on the cross for you and for me, and that he raised to life again, that he is no longer dead, but he's alive forevermore. And that is something to celebrate. Um, I realize that some Christians may have problems with bunnies and baskets, but we're not going to talk about that today. The point is the day. The, the point is the meaning of the day, which is that Jesus Christ is no longer dead, but he is alive forevermore. Amen. And so I want to just encourage you that he's risen no matter what you call the day. I've met some people who say, I don't say Easter. I say happy resurrection day. Well, good for you. That's awesome. <laughs> Great. That's awesome. Bunnies, baskets, chickens, they really have nothing to do with the real meaning of Easter. So we've got to make sure that our kids and grandkids know what the real meaning is. And that's it. That's it. So I say that at the outset to just kind of set the tone to help you understand where I'm headed today, because we're going to be talking about Easter. And I would say this, that the passion of Christ, which is what we call the week of his suffering and the Passover, the passion of Jesus Christ stands alone as the most important event that creation has ever known. It truly does. The Bible tells us that before the world even began, that God had planned that the crucifixion of Jesus would be the method and payment for sin. You guys know that God is not making this up as he goes along. This is good news for us. We said recently, and I'll, I'll hold on to this truth, that God is a meticulous planner. That means he's all about the details. And so we've got to pay attention to his word when he shares those details. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says this about Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times or days for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Our faith and our hope can get misplaced. How many of you have ever put your faith in something else, right? And you've been disappointed, but our God does not disappoint, amen? So God gives his people a roadmap in the Old Testament with the people of Israel, and I read a moment ago during communion, Jeremiah chapter 31, where it talks about the new covenant that will come. There are some theologians and scholars that actually believe there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus' life, his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection in the Old Testament scriptures. Because God was trying to give them a roadmap to help them know what to look for in their Messiah. Another word for that would be Savior. I want to show you two of those prophecies really quickly this morning. The first is this, that the Messiah will be buried in a rich man's tomb. Every detail about his life, his ministry, and his death and resurrection is noted by those who prophesied in the days of old before he arrived. Isaiah 53 verse 9 says this, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit or lies in his mouth. Matthew chapter 27 shows us the fulfillment of this. 
It says in verse 57, when it was evening, there came a rich man from a city or a region called Arimathea. His name was Joseph. He was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and he went away. So there's evidence there of the fulfillment. The second thing that I want to show you is that he will be raised from the dead. This is shown all throughout the scriptures and we have to understand it's a cornerstone of our faith. We cannot abandon the thought as crazy as it sounds. There was a man who lived, died a gruesome death, but he wasn't just a man. He was the son of God and he raised himself up from the dead. That's the cornerstone of our faith. If that doesn't exist, and we'll read that later in 1 Corinthians when Paul talks about the resurrection, he says, if that doesn't exist, then truly this life is not worth living because there's nothing after this. There's nowhere to go. It's just poof and you're gone. And there are a lot of people who mistakenly think that. But the Messiah will be raised from the dead. In Psalm 16, you might have thought that the book of Psalms just has a bunch of songs in it, but this is actual prophecy. Psalm 16, verse 10, it says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that really means the realm of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. I want to stop for just a second, and I want you to make sure you understand what that word corruption is. It is not corruption as in (laughs) corruption in our government, okay? Because there's a lot of that, plenty of that going around. This corruption that's mentioned there is actually talking about My body will not decay. You will rescue me before that happens. I want you to think about that. Psalm 30 verse 3 says, O Lord, you've brought up my soul from the realm of the dead, from Sheol. And you've restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Now listen to the fulfillment found in Acts chapter 2. Peter, crazy Peter, who denied Jesus, who did all these horrible, terrible things that God still loved and still had a purpose for, finds himself after the infilling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he finds himself not just, no no longer, I should say, denying Jesus Christ, but in fact, standing in front of a huge crowd of people and preaching the message. So in verse 29, it says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ That he was not abandoned to Hades, or this would be the New Testament term for the realm of the dead, like Sheol is in the Old Testament. Nor did his flesh see corruption. This is a powerful statement, and we say that context deepens our understanding of the content. Knowing what happens surrounding the information is really helpful. In those days, and probably still today to some degree, in those days, the Jewish contemporaries of the day would believe and it's written down in their text that your body didn't truly start decaying until the fourth day 
So there's an understanding there that Peter has, that David spoke about, that God, when he sends the Messiah, the Savior, that his body itself would not see corruption. Have you ever considered what it would be like if there was really no resurrection? If it never really happened, if Easter was not a thing? It is a cornerstone of our faith, and Paul actually gives us some information in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, if you want to go there, you can with your Bible or your app, but we'll have it on the screen for you. In verses 12 through 22, Paul lays out this idea of what it would be like if the resurrection never happened. So listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Look at me for just a moment. The Bible here, Paul is dealing with false teachers who have come into the church in a, a city called Corinth and said, ah, there's no resurrection from the dead. Don't, like that stuff's not to be worried about. Paul is trying to correct that and he says, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If you believe that Jesus raised from the dead, then, then you believe in it, the resurrection. Verse 13, it says this, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and so is your faith. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He repeats it again. And in verse 17, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Another word would be fruitless. It has no effect and you are still in your sins. Verse 18 says, then those also who have, read the word dead, okay, fallen asleep sounds much better, right? But those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're just gone. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we of all people, or we are of all people, most to be pitied. This is a pitiful thing to believe that he didn't raise from the dead and that we won't have a future hope to raise from the dead with him. Verse 20, it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits, or if you're familiar with the Old Testament, this is another term which we would use today when we talk about money. It is the tithe. He is the tithe of those who have fallen asleep or have died. Verse 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So this is a powerful argument that Paul lays out and he basically says, I want you to consider if it never happened, these four or five things are things that would have occurred. And the first thing, as he goes through these negative, this negative list, basically he's giving us this idea that if we didn't have the resurrection, then we would be bankrupt. Not in our pockets or our wallets, but in our spirits. The gospel, the message that we have, the hope that we hold on to would be of no effect. In fact, he says this in verse 14, that our preaching is in vain. 
So the message of the gospel would really just be without the resurrection. It would just be the biography of a great man who lived a truly extraordinary life, but died a pretty bad, terrible, disgraceful death. That's it. And there are others that we could name and that you can look in church history and in the history of the Israelites who were wonderful people, who lived extraordinary lives, who helped. And we think of people like Esther in the Old Testament who helped save the entire nation of the Israelites, yet she just died. I mean, she didn't raise to life again. Our gospel would be empty of power unless Jesus gained victory at Calvary as evidenced by his resurrection over death, over hell and the grave. And if he hasn't done that, then we are still victims. But the Bible is very clear. We are not victims. We are victors. Amen. And we can be victors over death just as Jesus was. The second thing that Paul says is not only our preaching, but also your faith is in vain. I asked the question earlier and said, you know, how many of us have ever put our faith in something and then found ourselves disappointed? So all that we have accepted from God is a gift from him and it comes by faith. Salvation comes by faith. There's a, there's a couple big words here. Okay. Sanctification comes by faith. That's God making you holy and helping you. The Holy Spirit is a gift that comes by faith. All of these things, even eternal life and the hope of an eternal home in heaven, none of that would be received by us if the resurrection did not happen. If he did not rise from the dead, then these things would not be available to you. I want to tell you something. Faith is always impotent unless its object gives it power. It has no effect Unless the object of your faith gives you power. The third thing he lists there is basically that the apostles would then be liars and scam artists. If the resurrection wasn't true and didn't really happen, then that would be a real problem. And here's what I have to tell you. Why would a group, a ragtag bunch, I mean, that's what they were. They were a motley crew of guys who served alongside of Jesus. What would happen? Why would they have been willing to die for a lie. Every single one of them, except for one, I believe, died a martyr's death. They died for this lie. And so Paul is saying, that's not possible. They wouldn't have done that. An essential qualification for an apostle that's shown in scripture is that he saw the resurrected Christ. So you say, well, wait a second. Didn't Jesus, like, was Paul wasn't there? How has this whole thing happened? Paul does see the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. So he's called an apostle as well. Acts chapter one tells us what that is and why when they were looking for the replacement of Judas, they said, okay, get a group of good guys together that we can have the other disciple, but we've got to have this big qualification is that they have to have witnessed him after his resurrection. Why? Because then they were convinced of the power that he had. And the power of the message that they preach. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, truly the entire fabric of scriptural authority, all of it just fades away. Number four, he says that our faith would be fruitless and we would still be in our sins. 
If Christ didn't rise from the dead, he possesses no more saving power than that of any other great character in history. It truly took the resurrection of Jesus to show the justifying value of his death. I want you to understand that those things are connected and they are connected for a purpose with us because if we just had Jesus on a cross, it would be a noble thing. But it's a miraculous thing to know that he is not in a tomb here on the earth, but he is risen and lives forevermore. The fifth thing is this. If the resurrection did not happen, it says this. Those who have died are simply dead. They're just simply no longer alive. He says this in verse 18 and 19. It really is truly, it's better to sorrow as those who have no hope than to sorrow as those who have a false hope. How disappointed we would be to find out that this is just all there is. I gotta tell you, I have no hope for tomorrow if this is all it is. If I'm just being honest with you. So we have to hold on to the truth of scripture and understand that this is such a reality for us that Easter isn't just one Sunday a year. And if you really are interested, Easter didn't happen on a Sunday. But it's fine. We'll talk about that at some other point. But Easter is every day. Every day. Let's look again at verse 19 through 22. It says this in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We're a sad bunch. If it's just a man on a cross, verse 20, but Paul brings the argument full circle and he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have died. Verse 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all men die. So also in Christ, all can be made alive. It is this that we hold on to as our hope and that we celebrate in moments like this during Easter. I want to read just two more quick things in scripture and share just one thought. But as the worship team gets set, I do want to tell you again, we will have uh, Mike come in in just a few moments and he'll give some instructions. We are so glad that you've chosen to worship God with us today on this holy day, on this wonderful day together. And we've got some fun activities at the end of the service that won't take long, but listen to what it says in Romans chapter three in verse 23 and 24, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24 and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. No human on this earth has ever been or will ever be perfect except for one, and his name is Jesus. Scripture tells us that God made him who knew no sin to become and to bear our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. There's nothing that you can do to earn this grace. It is simply a free gift. It does come with strings attached, which means your life needs to be served to his purpose for for the, the reason that he created you. 
and to serve him with all of your heart and to obey his word. But we have to understand that this is the hope that we have at Easter, that he who was guiltless became guilty in my place. That cross is a cross you and I should have hung on. That tomb is a place where one day we will all lay unless we're alive when the Lord returns and takes us home. But he is not there. He is risen and he lives forevermore. You might know the story of Lazarus, but I want to remind you of the words of Jesus to to Lazarus' sister, Martha. It's such an interesting thing. There are only a, a few times where you see extreme emotion or emotion that's mentioned about Jesus while he's on the earth. Yes, he prayed. Yes, he ate. Yes, he traveled. Yes, he got angry in the temple and he flipped some tables. There are some moments where he was grieved in his heart. And in this moment, he's talking to Martha, whose brother has died, and Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Verse 21 of John chapter 11 says this, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection. Like I know that, but I'm telling you he's dead now. That's, I mean, this is my paraphrase, but this is the emotion of, of her in this moment. Verse 25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And the question I ask you today is do you believe this? Verse 27, she says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who's coming into the world. Then it goes on to tell us that Jesus grieved, Jesus cried at the thought that Lazarus was gone. And there's this communication that says his body stinks, or in the King James, it says it must stinketh by now because it's the fourth day. Decay has set in already, Lord. Like, what can you do about this? And God says, roll that stone back. Lazarus, come forth. And he raises him from the dead. It's such a powerful story, and it can be our story as well, that Jesus, our Savior, the only begotten Son of God, was sent to this world to become the sacrifice that God demanded, rightfully so, according to his covenant. But he is not here. He is risen just as he said he would. And my challenge to you today is that you would live like he's alive. Live this week as though he's alive. Because he is. Live with your heart set towards heaven and realizing that this earth and this world is not your home. That there will be a moment when we who are believers will be resurrected and brought together with those who have died before, who have gone on to be in his presence. But we will be together with him in eternity. 
And I love the fact that on Easter, when we take communion, there's so much significance to this because the night that he was betrayed is the night that he shared this meal with those disciples. And he says this, I I want you to think about this. He says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until we're all together. Think about, it says in John chapter one, that the word of God is what created the world. He created the vine. He is abstaining from something that is rightfully his because he says, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait till as many of you can come will come. So I want to ask you, would you stand with me today? If you haven't experienced that life change yet and you say, you know what? I came here today. Somebody invited me or I'm a friend of someone or a family member and I I don't go to church that often, but this message has kind of impacted my heart. I want to challenge you today. All it is, all it is, is that you have to accept that he died for your sins in your place and that he rose from the dead. And the Bible says, when you confess your sins and believe on him, that you shall be saved. That salvation is a gift that he is willing to give to each and every one of us. So if that's you, as the worship team sings this next song, I want to encourage you, just say a prayer to the Lord, even in your seat. No one has to come to you and give you this magical formula of how to talk to God. I was watching a funny, well, not a funny, but I was watching a movie and there's a funny part in this movie and the guy is at the door of the church and he's standing there and there's a priest there and he's trying to get into the church and, and the priest says, oh, can I help you? And he, he lets them in and they begin to talk. He says, I need you to talk to him for me. I don't know how to talk to him. <laughs> and the And the priest says, Well, it's pretty simple. It's just like you're talking to me. It goes like this, Lord, I'm broken and I'm in need of you. I've done a lot of horrible things in my life and I need your grace and forgiveness. Wash me and cleanse me and make me new. Give me that resurrection life in the here and now to walk with you forever. I believe that you're the son of God. Lord, save me and help me today. Fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. It's really that simple. So I want to encourage you to do that. But also for those of us who are believers today and you say, I'm living for the Lord. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm so glad that I'm celebrating Easter today with the family, but I've got stuff going on in my life and I need someone to pray for me. At the end of every one of our services, we have our worship team come up to sing one last song and you can feel free to enter into worship if you'd like to. But I also wanna tell you that Miss Meg is gonna be over at that prayer station and I'll be at this one over here. And if there's any need in your life and you say, I need prayer for healing, for a family member, I'm going through a financial struggle, my marriage is on the rocks, my job situation, whatever it is, you don't have to be a member here. And church is a great place to pray on Easter. God could meet you and send the miracle you've been waiting for simply through you reaching out to him in faith. So as they sing this last song and before Mike comes to give some announcements, I just want to encourage you to either worship where you are or step out for prayer right now.